Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes. We are going to be talking about the people called Baptists. So Caleb had an idea. He wanted to go over different groups, religions, churches, whatever you want to call them. And we just wanted to cover one a week. So you had an idea of what this group is, who they are, what they believe, who founded them, when they started, where it all happened, yada, yada, yada. So we thought that would be kind of neat. That's what we're going to start tonight. So anyone that wants to throw the name of a church in the ring, just leave it in the comments. Tonight, we're going to start with Baptist. The reason is that's what I am. So it's going to be easy for me to cover and talk about and teach. And we're going to go over a bunch of the major ones that have come up through the years of church history. And we're going to talk about the founders of those different groups. So we were going to go over uh, John Calvin and we were going to go over Mary Baker Eddy and we were going to go over Martin Luther and we're going to go over John Wesley. We're going to go over all these different people that started these different groups. Now, keep in mind, some of them are not even Christian and we get that, but we're still going to cover them. We might cover those quickly and fit a few in in a single even, evening. All the ones that we would consider actual Christian churches, those we're going to give a whole hour to, and we're going to talk about those. And like I said, tonight we are going over Baptist. One thing I'm going to ask while we do this is we really want you to chime in with questions, whether they're questions or comments or complaints or whatever, jump on in because we know as we're talking about these different groups, there is absolutely going to be a handful of people that disagree and want to argue with what we are talking about as far as, oh, that's not what the group believes. And, you know, they really believe this. And we want to hear all of that from you. And we want to address all of those things. I don't think anything we're going to be getting into is really going to be too controversial. We're going to be covering stuff that was pretty surface level stuff. If you wanted to do your own research, if you wanted to get into it on your own, you're going to find out some of the same information. All right. So as we begin, Baptist, how does this work? As far as Baptists go, I'm going to say that they first fall under the fundamentals of Christianity. So the fundamentals of the Christian faith, I believe every Christian church, anyone that calls themselves a Christian church is going to agree to or believe are going to be these. And Baptists are no different. These, th these are really fundamentals. What we're mostly going to concentrate on are the distinctives. What makes a Baptist distinct from a Methodist? What makes a Methodist distinct from, you know, the Presbyterian? What, what makes one group distinct from another? So we start with the great fundamentals of the Christian faith. One of those is going to be the Trinity. That is, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. All three of those are God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Another one is the absolute inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the Bible. Now, this one is funny because there are actually a lot of churches today that 
don't believe this. And they attack the Bible very subtly. But for someone to be considered a Christian church, they need to believe that the book that we're all using was actually written by God. And we need to believe it and we need to use it for where we get our faith and practice. Then you have Jesus Christ. And obviously, the centerpiece of the Old and the New Testament, we have the incarnation, virgin birth, sinless life, death, burial, resurrection, and substitutionary atonement on the cross of Jesus the Christ. We must believe he is God. We must believe he is the Messiah. Then we have the personal salvation of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And then finally, the reality of the second coming, heaven and hell. Those are all basic doctrines that I am going to say a group needs to believe in if they want to call themselves Christian. Without those, we start straying away from what Christianity is pretty quickly. What is a Baptist? Let's see. Looks like we have at least one, two couple people here that are already telling me they are a Baptist. So this is going to be fun because sometimes I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone, but understand this in general, when we cover a group, you're going to find people that are part of this group. And they're going to say, I didn't know they believe that. Caleb was just talking to some friends in this last week, and, and we covered a couple different religions in, in last week's episode. And some of them got a hold of Caleb and they said, boy, I didn't know, you know, my group believed this. I didn't know my group followed these ideas. So we're going to run into that in a lot of places because I hate to tell you, far too many people in America, in churches today, are pretty ignorant and apathetic. And if you are not one of those people, good for you. The church Every church needs to be made up of lots of Christians that are informed, that care about the Bible, that read the Bible regularly. That's exactly what we need. All I'm saying is the masses, the numbers of people that make up every church typically do not fall into that group of informed folks who know the Bible well, they know what they believe, they know what their church believes, and that's what we're trying to do with these podcasts is just help people get excited to read the Bible and, and get into the Bible and learn more on their own. Okay, so with that, here are the Baptist distinctives. There is an easy way to remember this. The word Baptists, plural, is made up of eight letters, and we can use these <clears throat> as a device to remember what the Baptist distinctives are. The letter B in Baptist, that means the Bible as the sole authority. Now, this is hands down the most important one. You would think that every church would be able to get behind this one, but there's two parts to it. Number one, we believe that the Bible is not a book about God. It is a book written by God. Very important distinction. So we need to take everything in the Bible as there on purpose and important. God put it in there. 
So we need to read it. We need to understand it. That's the whole idea behind this thing is we're supposed to learn what the Bible says, and we're supposed to try to understand it. We are not supposed to try to figure out the problems with the Bible and fix it and correct it. And that's what plenty of churches do, but that's not, that's not what we are supposed to do because the Bible was written by God. Now, the Bible as the sole authority also has with it the idea that we do not find authority anywhere else other than the Bible. The Bible is the only place we get our authority, which means if the Bible disagrees with the teaching of the pastor, the pastor is wrong and the Bible is right. If the scriptures disagree with the church doctrine, well, the church doctrine is wrong and the scriptures are correct. Anytime you run into any extra biblical writing that is contrary to the word of God, we are supposed to wholly reject that writing that is incorrect, and we're supposed to go to the Bible alone, sola scriptura. We get our doctrine and our practice from the Bible and nothing else. There is nothing wrong with people writing books about the Bible. There's nothing wrong with people writing extra biblical books on history and church history and writing books and Bible studies on individuals in the Bible. So you can have a little Bible study on King David or Noah or whatever book you want to uh, you know, get into and learn about. There's nothing wrong with any of these. All I'm saying is that we can never take a book and find a discrepancy between the book and the Bible and go with the book. We always categorically reject anything that is different from the clear teaching of the Word of God. So there's no such thing as a church father who wrote these books and wrote these volumes of books that explain what the Bible really means, that is a hallmark of a cult. Anytime someone says that we have these books and, and the church fathers wrote these, and if you don't, and you have to read these to understand what the Bible really means. And, and without these, you know, you're not going to be able to understand it. And there are places where the Bible just makes mistakes, but don't worry, our church fathers figured it out and they got a message from God. And it's always funny to me that God could speak clearly to these church fathers of this specific religion, but for some reason he couldn't get it right when he wrote the book, you know, when he translated the book, when he copied the book, couldn't do that. But he was able to get the message to Mary Faker Eddy. Sorry, Mary Baker Eddy. And the uh, I believe that's the Christian scientists. So we don't use any other books. We don't use any other literature. We use the Bible alone for our faith and practice. Next, we have A. A stands for autonomous local churches. Churches are different from what is often referred to as the church, what I call the universal invisible church. The Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about the body of Christ, which is made up of every single Christian under the sun. The Bible talks about the bride of Christ, which is made up of every single Christian under the sun. But these are different from the churches. 
there was a church at Ephesus. There was a church at Pergamos. There was a church at Corinth. There was a church at Rome. And we read about this in the New Testament. And all of these churches were autonomous. There was no one governing body that had authority over any of these churches. And some people will argue this, and, and that's fine. Keep in mind, I'm just explaining to you what the Baptist distinctives are. What makes a Baptist different from every other religion, group, or uh, church that's out there? So we believe that churches are to be autonomous, meaning the authority of the church goes no higher than the church member. That's it. You have offices in the church, and we'll get to those, and that's talked about here in the Baptist Distinctives, but churches are autonomous. If if our church starts to grow and someone decides that they feel called of God to go out and start another church, great. We support that guy, and we, we ordain that guy, and we send him out into the world. Maybe we financially support him. Maybe he goes across town and starts another church. Maybe he goes to another state. Maybe he goes to another country. All wonderful good news. Do you know how much authority we have over that guy in the church he starts? Zero. We have no authority whatsoever. He can go directly to God and God can deal with him. We want to love him and support him, but there is no church governance that is over the church that we are in and the church that he started. Keep in mind, that exists in a lot of places. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, there's one big issue that came up in American history where there was this Southern Baptist group, and you've heard of the Southern Baptist Convention. I believe that is unbiblical. Uh, there is not supposed to be a government authority, a corporation, so to speak, over uh, a multitude of churches. It's not supposed to be that way. Uh, some people would argue, well, we're, you know, every Southern Baptist church is autonomous and we can do what we want. Uh, okay, that's fine. Uh, I, you know, I've been to Southern Baptist churches. I, I know how they operate. I know how the hierarchy works. I know uh, how the money works. And, you know, I don't believe that. <clears throat> so I think they should be separate. The, the problem you run into and the place that independent Baptist churches came from was when Southern Baptist churches, long time ago, going back practically a century now, uh, the Southern Baptist churches started for a time, I'm not saying they still do today, I'm just saying for a time, they were toying with the idea of uh, the theory of evolution being a, a legitimate explanation for the origins. They also were changing some of their um, the, the focus of their missionaries. They were no longer um, solely focused on seeing souls saved, but they were spending a lot of money doing humanitarian efforts, you know, building schools and hospitals and blah, blah, blah. And, and all things that are great. I'm just saying they, they have nothing to do with the Great Commission. That, that was the, the, the job of the church is to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So what ended up happening was several pastors uh, became independent. And they said, nope, we're not going to be a part of this. Uh, we are going to separate. And that was kind of the independent Baptist movement. Now, keep in mind, because there is no church government over the Baptists throughout the world, what that means is that things are going to go back and forth. They're going to go up and down. 
things are going to change sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. So that was certainly something that I believe ended up being a bad thing. I think the split uh, was a good thing. And, uh, you know, that kind of brought a lot of Baptists back to the idea that, hey, you know what? We don't need a government. Uh, we can just run church and the Lord Jesus can be the head of it. And that's the end of it. So that's autonomous local churches, independent local churches. The next one we have is the priesthood of all believers. This one is really special to me, especially because I was raised Catholic and Catholicism and Old Testament priests are a great example of why this is a belief. This is why um, this is a fundamental, or I'm sorry, a distinctive of Baptist churches. So the priesthood of all believers, think, think about this. In the Old Testament, in order to get a hold of God, to get in touch with God, the people had to go through the priesthood. And the priesthood had to go through an awful lot of rigmarole in order to get a hold of God. You had the priest. The priest had to have special clothing. There was a special place, the tabernacle. There were certain days and times. There was special equipment, okay, altars and incense and sacrifices. There was a lot of rigmarole uh, involved in order to get to God and be able to uh, bring your confession to God and have a sacrifice to uh, make known to God uh, your contrition and the desire to be right with him again. This all changed very drastically and was explained to us in the New Testament. And we see this when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, we saw that there was the veil of the temple that was ripped in two. And this was, if you're not up on your Old Testament tabernacle kind of stuff, this might not make a lot of sense to you, but the way that it worked was the place where God, so to speak, lived, which was on the mercy seat on top of the the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holiest of Holies, which was a room inside another room inside the tabernacle. That was a place that only one guy was allowed to go into one day a year, and that was on Yom Kippur, and it was the high priest, and he could only go in there after a whole lot of ceremonial washing and preparation. And it went to show just how special God was and how holy he was. And there were reasons for it, and I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat from the rest of the tabernacle and the access of any old priest to be able to get in there, that veil, which was very tall, uh, it was, I want to say it was over a dozen feet tall, but don't quote me. And it was believed to be like 18 inches thick of fabric. It was this big, thick, heavy piece of fabric. So no one could accidentally stumble in there. It was ripped in two. And that was at the time when Jesus said it is finished. And, you know, we had all the stuff happen when he was on the cross and, and the veil being ripped in two was significant. It painted the picture that 
all of us now have access directly to God. There, there was no need for a priest anymore. All of us, there's the priesthood of all believers. We all have the exact same amount of access to God any given day. All we have to do as a child of God, if we're born again, we're saved, we can get on our knees and pray and God is right there and he will hear us. We do not need to go through another person in order to have access to God. So that is the third of the Baptist distinctives. So B is the Bible as the sole authority. A is autonomous, independent local churches. P is the priesthood of all believers. Uh, next we have T. So T is the two ordinances. So you have the two ordinances, and those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. It is not communion. Do not call it communion. We are not sun-worshiping Catholics. It is the Lord's Supper. That's what Jesus called it. There are two ordinances, and these are to be carried out by the local church. This was the idea. Caleb and I can drink grape juice and eat bread together whenever we want. It is not the Lord's Supper. Um, also, uh, Caleb and I can go swimming anytime we want. It is not a baptism. The baptism and the Lord's Supper were two ordinances. The idea was they were to be carried out by uh, the local church. Now, keep in mind, obviously, baptism is carried out between two individuals. The idea of baptism with a Baptist church is that your baptism represents the group that you're with and the beliefs that you hold. It is number one to recognize what happened to you as far as salvation and identify you with Jesus Christ, but it also has to do with who baptized you. Now, a lot of people don't like this, and believe me, if there's one idea that is not very popular when you're in a Baptist church, it is the idea that your baptism associates you with a group. And people are like, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, it's actually easy to find. It's in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus got baptized. There was only one person Jesus was okay with having baptize him, John the Baptist. There were lots of people baptizing everyone that day. Jesus said, nope, you're the guy that has to baptize me. And John so how does just to yeah, jump in here, how does that no, work? Jump if, I, if I jump, if I, if I join your church and you're a Baptist church and mm -hmm. I was baptized somewhere else, how does that work? Do I get rebaptized? Okay. So it depends on the church and it depends on, uh, but yes, there's lots of churches where they would ask you to get baptized again. Now, most people don't have a problem with it until they do. So Caleb, if, if you had someone that wanted to join your church and you asked that, and let's say, cause to join, okay, my little home church, you got to right. be saved. You got to be baptized. That's it. Okay. There's no other qualifications. There's no other prerequisites. You got to be saved and baptized, and then you can be a member of our church, but your baptism has to count. Like I said, a lot of people don't like this. Now, Caleb, if someone wanted to join your church, do they have to be saved to join your church? 
Yes. No, Caleb's not sure. Cause yeah, he's no. not even a member of the church. So he's <laughs> he's thinking back and he's like, well, I think so. that sounds good. <laughs> no, I am a member of the church. And of course, you do have to be a born again, saved, baptized uh, believer to okay. join the church as a member. Now, okay, if you great. want to just join us for church Sunday morning, obviously. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anybody's welcome. Yeah. In the same way, anyone is welcome to join us, you know, on our Friday night meetings at our house and, and worship the Lord with us. That's great. Okay. So now here's my question. Someone says, yep, I want to join the church. And uh, you guys have somebody basically interview them. So you're going to sit down and talk to them for five minutes and just, and you're going right. to hear their, their gospel and, and their gospel, uh, you know, salvation was very clear. Um, they were sinners. They recognized Jesus was God. He was the only way to get to heaven. His work on the cross is what did it. They uh, called on the name of the Lord to save them and forgive them of their sins, and they received that precious gift, and they were saved, and they were so happy, and that was what happened to them, and whatever, they're 24 years old, and it happened one Sunday morning when the preacher was preaching on heaven and hell, and they realized they needed to get saved. Okay, so you're you're happy with their salvation. Okay, so you say, okay, have you been baptized? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was raised Catholic, and when I was two weeks old, I was sprinkled. Okay, do you let them join your church? No. Okay, why not? Well, I would say it wasn't made on the confession of a mature, you know, believer's baptism. Right. It was, yeah. So what you're saying is their baptism was illegitimate. Right. Okay. And the reason is, and, and obviously we're using the extreme example to start with, and then we'll narrow it into the example that no one likes. So the extreme example is easy. They didn't make a choice. They were sprinkled when they were a child. Okay. They didn't even know what was going on. And then they got saved later. And you could say the same thing as far as, um, you know, oh, yeah, I was raised in a church and I was baptized when I was six years old. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You just said you got saved when you're 24. Right. And they're like, well, yeah, I realized I wasn't saved. And then I got saved. Okay. Would that baptism count? The first baptism? No. No. Okay. Because right. they are admitting they were not saved when they got baptized. So guess what, folks? If you're not saved when you get baptized, it's not baptism. It's just getting wet. You have the, the prerequisite for baptism is salvation. So now let's go over another one. What if someone was 25 years old, they got saved and they said, uh, yep, well, I am coming from the Mormon church and I got baptized there. I knew everything about the Bible and about God and who Jesus was and, you know, all this. And, and I want to join your church. Does that baptism count? So I would say, I would say if it's not a biblical baptism, then no, it doesn't. And their, okay, their so, baptisms are, are, are complicated. It's not a baptism <laughs> in Jesus name. It's not a baptism yeah. in the father's name. It's not the son. Okay. It's the ordinances so, of the church and the whatever you want. Okay. So you can see that Caleb, even though, he might not agree with my point. He's making it for me that the right. baptism is associated to the group that you're coming from and what they believe for a very small number of Baptist churches. We are particular about baptism. And I have asked over the years, I don't know how many people, hundreds of people in, you know, different Baptist churches that I've been a member of, when they wanted to come and be a member to get baptized again. And I got to be honest with you, 99 out of a hundred of them have no problem with it. And I explain it to them. I say, look, 
you know, the church that you're coming from doesn't believe the fundamentals of Christianity. The, the church that you're coming from doesn't believe like you believe now. We want you to be associated with us. That's why we want you to join. That's why you want to join this group. That's the idea, is that baptism is relate, relates you not only to your salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus, remember, he died, was buried, and rose again, just like baptism, we're under the water, covered by the water, raised up from Where's the your water. Spoon? Yeah, I was just looking for it. I don't know. Oh, wait, here we go. Okay. So <clears throat> the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptism, okay, represents the same thing coming up out of the water. No, one more reason that we baptize by immersion. And my goal for tonight was not to get on a 20 minute tirade about baptism. We've had entire conversations about it. But Okay, folks, do you understand that if you're going to belong to a Baptist church, guess what? Baptism is important. We take it seriously. That's why we ended up with the name. I mean, what, you know, what did you expect? And we can get into that when we get into the history in just a little bit. But understand the idea uh, for Baptist doctrine is that there are two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. All right, let's keep mo let's move this thing along before we get bogged down. Okay, so then we have I, individual soul liberty. This one is an idea that unfortunately far too many churches across the globe are not on board with. The idea with individual soul liberty is that you have the right to live your life the way you want to live it. I have the right to live my life the way I want to live it. So long as we are not getting in the way of any commands in the Bible or causing one another to have a problem with their Christianity and stumble. The idea is we don't all have to be a cookie cutter. We don't all have to look exactly the same, sound exactly the same, dress exactly the same, yada, yada, yada. Unfortunately, though, sociology teaches us that people like to fit into groups. So what do they do? They figure out the little things that that group does. They start using the lingo. They start dressing the same. And all of a sudden, you turn around and you find out that everyone is more or less homogenized. And there's nothing wrong with that. The idea is simply that you are an individual and you have soul liberty. It's just you and God. You don't have to prove your Christianity to me. And, and by that, I don't mean your salvation. I mean the way you live your life. You have the right to be different. And you have the right to allow the word of God to convict you of things and have a higher standard than I do here. And I have the right to have convictions from the word of God and you have a lower standard than I do here. And that's okay. We all don't have to be the same. It's okay. If someone smokes in the parking lot, it's okay. If someone wears a sh sh shirt and tie to church, it's okay. If someone else doesn't. So individual soul Liberty, a lot of churches, even though they might say they believe that really don't get down with that whole thing. Right. Then you have S, <clears throat> uh, saved baptized church membership. This is very simple. We already explained this. You got to be saved. You got to be baptized. Those are the two uh, prerequisites for church membership. The idea is we can't have a bunch of non-saved people voting <laughs> 
in the church meetings to lead the church to go in this direction or that. The, the church membership must be made up of saved people. Then the second T is two offices, pastor and deacon. Finally, we have the last S in Baptists, separation of church and state. The Baptists are the group that is not okay with uh, Uncle Sam coming in and telling us what we can and can't do. We are going to run church the way we see God wants us to run church, and that's it. We're only responsible to him. The Baptists are going to be the group that are pretty fairly often the civilly disobedient group. Uh, we don't care what the government says. The government can't just change a law and tell us that we can't worship God or the way that we can. Uh, we get to make that decision. And if you want to know if you're in a Baptist church that believes that, well, just tell me how the last year and a half of church went during this whole COVID thing. All right. Did they shut down? Did they, you know, change everything to make the government happy or did they continue to worship God the way that they've always done it? That's the way it's going to work. We don't believe that the church is allowed to run the government. We don't believe that the government is allowed to run the churches. Individuals, Christians are allowed to run the government. They are allowed to vote. They are allowed to run for office. That's fine, but that's separate. We're talking about the church. There is no church that should ever be in charge of a government. It always ends in bloodshed, and there should never be a government that is in charge of churches. It always ends in tyranny and oppression. So those are the Baptist distinctives. So do you have any questions on those before we move on to our next section? No, I, I guess I missed the first couple of letters of the acronym. I figured I was missing a, a Baptist infomercial. And then I tuned in for a second <laughs> and I heard you say something about, about Baptists being uh, apathetic or something like that. Or so, I can't remember what you said. I, I just barely tuned in for a second and you were like something about them being apathetic and oh, lazy uh, or something like that. No, no, no. Christians in general, when I was talking about Christians who know the Bible, I said, by and large, oh, okay. Christians in America today <laughs> okay. are, make up churches who are pretty apathetic and ignorant about the Bible. And I said, if, if, if you are not one of those people, if you read the Bible and care about what it says, then bravo. But that okay. was Christianity. I was in just anticipating an infomercial, and I turned on and I and I heard something about uh, being apathetic and lazy, and I yeah. was like, "Oh, I guess I." Yep. Uh, all right. So, uh, I do have a couple of questions about go for it about that, um, and I I wondering if you know kind of where where some of this came from as far as why this mm -hmm. became important things to the church, and I yeah. I personally find these to be actually very biblical definitions for the most part i understand why they're in there yeah. but it's kind of interesting do you know the history as far as why they uh why they i guess you mentioned the the southern baptists trying to become more more um govern you know governing a whole a whole bunch of churches so i'm, I'm guessing that was a part of the problem but was there is there specific issues that you know of that by necessity these became important doctrinal issues for the baptists yes Caleb, let me have another minute to just go over an idea that everyone needs to understand when we're talking about Baptists, because this is what it all comes down to. And, and hopefully this will help with your, your question. When you go through most major splits, divisions in churches, 
you have a leader and quite often the leader is the name of the church, right? So when we have the, uh, the reformation, we have Lutheranism coming up. Well, who led the Lutherans? Luther. Yeah. Martin Luther, right? Who started the Presbyterians? I can't remember the guy's name. John Calvin. That's where Calvinism comes okay, from. Okay, I was just, okay. Okay, what about uh, the Methodists? Where'd they come from? Uh, Wesleyan, right? Right, John, John Wesley. Wesley. Very good. When we go through, or uh, how about Episcopalian, Church of England? Remember who started Not that? Sure. Okay, Henry VIII. He started that when a pope wouldn't let him do what he wanted. <clears throat> All of these groups are what we call Protestants. Protestants protested who? The state church. Catholic church. Which what you got right. it. The Roman Catholic Church. So all of these different groups split off of the Catholic Church throughout church history. Well, here's my question for you, Caleb. Where were the Christians during this time? Surely everybody wasn't part of the Catholic Church until Martin Luther. Right. Right. There were Christians worshiping the Lord all those hundreds of years. Who were they? Now, we have an individual who is credited with the starting and leading of these groups. If I asked you who started the Baptist Church, who would you say? Don't know. Yeah. See, there's no answer. And that's right. the neat thing. When you go through history, what you find is that there were groups from the very beginning. You had Peter and Paul, you had Timothy, you had Silas and Barnabas, and you had John Mark, and you had all these fellas that we read about in the book of Acts. And it wasn't and it, it wasn't John the Baptist that started the Baptist church. <laughs> no, no, but one of the and and we'll get back to John the Baptist because he plays a role in some of the doctrine. But no, John right. the Baptist did not start the Baptist church. As a matter of fact, what you found were there were groups of Christians that were underground worshiping the Lord throughout the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they were persecuted. And this went on for, as I said, hundreds and hundreds of years. These groups typically were very loosely formed they were not 501c3 tax-exempt status corporations. They were just groups of believers that would try to worship the Lord, follow the Bible, and oftentimes they would have leaders rise up. And the leader wasn't trying to make a movement for himself or a name for himself. He was just the guy that happened to be passionate about teaching the Bible, and he developed a following, as often happens. And then the group that followed this one guy and the slight differences that they had, that became a name of a church. And we have lots of these groups throughout uh, throughout church history. You can talk about the Gospelers. You can talk about the Waldensians. You can talk about so many of these different groups that through the years that were bringing Christianity around were broken up. Uh, into different groups, started by men. But the fact was, all of them were Christians 
that if you go back through time, who started the church that they belonged to? Jesus. It was the Lord Jesus. That's it. They were just the Christians. They, they had different names. Keep in mind, none of their names were Baptist. The name Baptist came during the Inquisition when King Philip of Spain <clears throat> and various kings in England and France and Holland were finding these Christians and gathering them up and taking their Bibles and they were drowning them. They were lighting them on fire. They were cutting off their heads and, and you know, just doing all types of horrible things to them. These Christians were called the Anabaptists and they were given the name by the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was making fun of them because when someone would join the Anabaptists, they would get saved. The Anabaptists insisted that they get baptized because they said what happened as a child in Catholicism does not count. You need to get baptized and follow the Lord Jesus in baptism the same way he got baptized. So they would take them to whatever body of water they could find, and they would dunk them under the water and baptize them. Well, the Catholic Church made this illegal, and anyone caught baptizing a Catholic, or what they said was rebaptizing a Catholic, they were uh, committing a capital crime, and they were drowned. And the Catholic Church mockingly called these Christians the Anabaptists. Anabaptist means rebaptizer. The Anabaptists said, no, 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 we are not rebaptizing anyone. We are simply baptizing them. Their first baptism did not count. Therefore, once they get saved, they need to get baptized. So that's where the name came from. The name came from the enemies of these groups. Now, when you go back through history, you find that all of these groups held to some of the Baptist distinctives, but none of them held to all of them. Some of them only held to one or two, but the couple that you always find are that they believe that the Bible was the sole authority, period. More than anything, that is the common thread you find through the Baptist churches, what we would call the Baptist churches. Keep in mind, most of them didn't call themselves Baptists. Okay, that, That's what we call them because of their belief and practice that we can relate to. But the common thread is that they believe the Bible was their sole authority, not the Church of Rome, not any extra biblical writing of any other person, simply uh, the Old and New Testament given to us by the Lord. Now, this is <clears throat> something that's important, and I'm going to see if I can find this in a second. So what you have is this idea of secession. Have you ever heard Baptists talk about secession and how that works? I haven't. Okay. There are certain Baptists that believe they can actually draw a line between their church and they can trace it all the way back to the Lord Jesus in his day. And they believe that they 100% came from the Lord Jesus. And each Christian was baptized by someone before them. And you can follow that uh, line of secession all the way back to the Lord Jesus himself. That is the secessionist, the theory. There is a Which line. Is, 
a an common unbroken chain. Many churches to oh, try to, to try to find that that link. I mean, yeah. The Roman Catholic Church claims to have it back to Peter's seat. I can't think of their names. What's the other ones? It's kind of like kind of like the Roman Catholics, but they're uh, Greek Orthodox. Yeah, Greek Orthodox. Russia, there's yeah. Greek Orthodox and Russian yeah. Orthodox. Yeah, they yeah. believe they they have direct link. You know that they're the one only church because sure. they have that. So it's been common for other churches. Mormons, for Correct. instance, have tried to link all the way back to Jesus as well. Then you have this idea, which is not where we can prove that we have a direct line, which I believe is just utter nonsense. Okay. Now, with that being said, the way it works, it, and, and this is really the way it works. If you came from a line that did not break free of the Catholic church, as in Protestants, then guess what? You can trace your heritage back to the Lord Jesus. That's all you got to do. If you're a Christian who was baptized by a Christian who was baptized by a Christian who was baptized, and you go back and none of them in there were Catholic, well, guess what? Okay, you can you can trace your uh, your salvation and your baptism all the way back to the Lord Jesus. We're all part of the same big family. It doesn't. I'm not saying we're all you know part of any one specific church. I'm just saying that Christians outside of uh, the Protestants, outside of Catholicism. Guess what? That the, those are the people that we're calling Baptists now. Instead of trying to draw a direct line and say that we have people, you know, going all the way back, we have more of a kinship theory. Okay, so this theory states that Baptists have more of a connection with those in the past, those groups based on their similar beliefs and practices, as far as salvation in Christ alone, baptism by immersion, all, all of these different ideas. And that is what relates us to these groups. Right. So that's the idea. Now, personally, and you constantly hear it all the time about, you know, oh, every Christian just gets labeled as a Protestant. No, they're not. Not every Christian is coming from a church that protested the Catholic Church. That's not true. If you're a Lutheran, guess what? You're a Protestant, and that's fine. That's where you came from. That's what you believe. Okay, but don't call me a Protestant. I am not part of that group. My group did not split off of Catholicism. My group was separate, being hunted down and killed by the Catholics the whole time. That's where my group came from. So that is you know, the group that is Baptist. Now you had a question and I know well, I just got off into the weeds and I didn't answer. No, you, you I actually wanted answered to... some of the questions, which is through some of that persecution, why these things became apparent and, and necessary. Sure. So that was my question is obviously some people can look at it and be like, man, why, why are these the things that are, you know, are the, that were so important that they became a, a fundamental part of the Baptist belief. You know, why is priesthood of the believer, the two ordinances, sure. you know, whatever. And to me, when I glance across the, you know, the acronyms of Baptists, I, yeah. I see a lot of things that would have to do with church administration, church drama, church splits, um, mm -hmm. and trying to set up a framework that, that allows for peace within the church and between the churches. Um, it seems to me like it's, that that's probably where a lot of it came from, but I was just wondering if there's a backstory to some of those things that, that I don't know or history that I don't know. And, and if you think about it, okay, the same reason that the, the Bill of Rights 
where where did that came from? That came from the abuses of England during the time leading up to the Revolutionary War. The reason that the uh, First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, Fourth Amendment are there and are in order. Caleb, have you ever had a, a government office try to quarter troops in your house? No. <laughs> okay, neither have I. But for some reason, guess what? You know, there it is in the first four amendments to uh, the Constitution. They were so important because that was the abuse that was going on during the time. They had their freedom of speech stripped away from them. They had their freedom of religion stripped away from them. And then they did not have the ability to fight for themselves in order to defend their homes and their churches and their families and their towns. So that's why they got the Second Amendment. And they also uh, were not okay with unreasonable search and seizure because they had that happening. So they said, nope, this is an important belief and it's so important that we're going to go ahead and just write it down to make sure that no one ever forgets this. And that's the same thing that you find with the Baptist distinctives. They had groups that were trying to push on them apostasy the Bible was not the only thing to use in order to get your doctrine, that salvation could come by some other way other than Jesus Christ, that you all had to be a part of this one giant universal church that, you know, we govern. And those were the things that they said, you know, nope, uh, we believe differently, and it is important that we do. I want to go over one more idea, and I'm trying to find it here in my notes. I'm just going to go from memory here. You can break down churches into one of four groups. Those groups are number one, belief. You have the group that believes. Number two, you have belief compromised. And this is always going to be the majority of Christian churches around the world. It is not going to be just straight belief. It will be belief compromised, where they are walking away from the truth to some degree for whatever reason. Then you have non-belief disguised. And this is where they are not saved. There is, there is nothing to do with Christianity, but they look really religious. And this is where the Catholic Church fits in. This is where Greek Orthodox churches fit in. This is where uh, the Mormons fit in. This is where a lot of churches fit in, where it's like, look, they are not Christian churches. They are belief. Uh, they are unbelief disguised. And what are they disguised as? They're disguised as belief. And then you have simply non-belief. You have the secular humanists, you have the liberals in America today that are atheistic and agnostic. They do not believe in God. They don't try to believe in God. So those are the four groups that you find you could be a part of. Obviously, if you are a saved believer, you're going to end up in either belief or belief compromised. You're going to find a lot more belief compromised churches than you're going to find straight up belief churches. But those are the four different places you can end up. And as we go through these different churches, you know, over the next several weeks, you're going to see how they're all going to fit into one of those areas. Caleb, tell me your thoughts. What do you have as far as a question? Uh, no, that's interesting to break it down that way. The, the last category there, as far as unbelief, it is interesting to even think that that would be a church. 
but to be clear, there are there are religious organizations. I remember at one point I was uh, when I was living in Grand Junction. I went. We were a home church, not a part of a church, so I, I wasn't sure what to do with my tithe money. So I ordered a thousand Bibles at one point and mm-hmm. decided I was just going to start giving away Bibles. And I f- found a place where I could buy Bibles for like a dollar a piece. And mm-hmm. so I was I was going and I was just trying to hand out Bibles to whoever I could get them to. I sent some with some missionaries. Anyway, so finally I thought, well, maybe I'll check with some churches because maybe there's some churches that, you know, this is kind of their job, right? Is to give away, sure. their, you know, get the word of God into people's hands. So maybe I'll. So I stopped in at a church that was on North Avenue and it, they met in a like a, I think it was near 12th Street in Grand Junction there. They met in this big round building and I walked in and I talked to the pastor of this church was a lady and she was wearing this robe with like a shawl over it with like these purple and different colors. And, and there was a lot of symbolic stuff in, in the building. And it just, you know, it was like this very religious place. Right. And I start looking and they have all these flags hanging all the way around the room. And they had Christian, the Christian flag. They had the Jewish flag. They had the Muslim flag. And I noticed right up over the pulpit, it, they had a thing and it says all paths lead to God. Sure. And I was like, uh, obviously, yeah, the I'm in the wrong place. place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys yeah. know what this book is? Do you have any of these? <laughs> Anyways, it was just, it was kind of funny that you could have a, a religious place that was, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, that like the epitome of the most ecumenical religious gathering that you could, that you could, you know, sure. very inclusive and very tolerant. Yeah. And it was, I felt so excluded there because of my yep. belief. I'm yeah. like, I am literally the most excluded person in this place. You guys are so accepting of everybody, including Christians, but this mm-hmm. is an abomination to my, you know, to my belief. This is an abomination to God. And so I can't remember the name of the church now. I wish I could, okay. I wish I could name it just to call it out for the fun of it, because these, <laughs> this is, this is the kind of stuff that has no place <laughs> in Christianity at all, but yet they're still labeled as a Christian organization. Or, you know, if you look up Christian churches, you're going to find yeah. these kind of organizations. There's one of those churches in any mid-sized city throughout right. America. You know, they're all over the place. And that, that is the unbelief disguised. You know, they're trying to look Christian and look like, a, you know, a church that worships God. But in fact, they have nothing to do with God. You know, they just made themselves look spiritual and religious and they have to have enough stuff that, you know, looks like it should be found in a church. Uh, we, you know, we always joke about the Catholic church um, because of the smells and the bells. And that's the idea there. There is incense there. There's candles, there's bells that they ring, but you know, that's as deep as the religion gets. It was, it's interesting in, in me listening to you talk, because I always mm-hmm. think of Baptists as just another denomination. Mm-hmm. And of course I always, one of the denominations we should cover is non-denominational. Sure. <laughs> the non-denominational denomination. Yeah. And I, I kind of tend to want to class myself as just a Christian. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't think of myself as any particular denomination, yeah. um, but it, it's interesting in, in you talking, I feel that you, that you feel that way about Baptists, which is kind of interesting. I never really looked yeah. at it this way, but I'm Baptists in, in, are non-denominational, right? I look at Baptists yeah. as a very clear denomination. They have their beliefs and you're like, uh, not, not so fast. You know, I don't feel yep. like I'm, 
you know, I'm just a Christian. And I think a lot of a lot of Christians, I think it would really be uh, cool if more Christians could get to the point where they feel comfortable categorizing themselves into a category like that, where they're okay, sure. not necessarily fitting in with one particular brand of Christianity. And that's yeah. where the individual liberty thing there really kind of makes what I, from what I understand, from what you're saying there, it kind of kind of leaves the room to to be a Baptist and still be non-denominational. You don't have sure. to necessarily fit the mold, which of course is a very appealing thing to anybody that reads their Bible and is has concerns about being led astray <laughs> by you know a church that is that is you know not interpreting things properly. Okay, so now can I throw a curveball that's going to make plenty of people upset? Yeah. Okay, I am going to go ahead and say that Jesus was a Baptist. Okay. Now, let me ask you this, Caleb. Whenever I say this person or that person is a Baptist, what do I mean? Well, based off of what you just listed, they're a saved mm -hmm. Christian that's been baptized and believes yeah. that the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah, so they are, they're a Baptist, not based on them joining a Baptist church. They are Baptist based on belief and practice. And the fact is, and this is the crazy thing, like we're, okay, we are going to get into several other groups, right? Caleb, right. have you ever read about John Wesley? Have you ever read his biography or any of the biographies about him? No. That man was insane. And, and I'm, I'm not putting him down. I'm mm -hmm. saying that I could live a hundred lifetimes and never, ever be the Christian that that man was. He was in his, I think it was his late eighties and he was all upset because his doctor said he had to limit himself to preaching no more than 14 times a week. <laughs> in his personal journal, he talked about how his flesh was getting a hold of him in his later years, and it was increasingly difficult to get up at 5 a.m. to spend an appropriate amount of time in the Word of God and prayer before he started his day. And this is before alarm right. clocks. This guy that was pushing 90 was upset because he could feel his flesh taking over and he was having increasing difficulty to get up at 5 a.m. to spend several hours, you know, reading his Bible and praying. I mean, it was, I'll tell you what, when you read about his life, it was flat out inspiring, just awesome. You know, now with that being said, I mean, I would never join a Methodist church. I mean, ever where they are today and where they came from is, is very, very different. And it's really neat when you read about these guys. And honestly, when I, when I learned about John Wesley and his life, my thought was, well, no wonder there was a movement. If that guy was here, I'd be following him. I'd join his church. He was amazing. You know, I mean, it was just really, it was really neat. You were talking about um, people being okay with saying that they're part of a group. And, and this is the thing, like one of my friends here, uh, Daniel, he made a comment, I'm a Christian and I know where he's coming from. You know, he doesn't want to call himself a Baptist, which, which is fine. I met Daniel in an independent Baptist church and he has since left. And I think he, you know, maybe doesn't have the, the feeling that he wants to be identified by that anymore. But really, you got to remember, you're not identifying yourself with any particular church. You're identifying yourself with a set of beliefs. Caleb, why was Jesus only okay with being baptized by one man on earth? 
because of what he believed. Right. Well, I mean, it was ordained by God, obviously. He was there to prepare the way, but he also was preaching repentance. When it was described what John preached, he preached the word of God. Right. Right. He was a prophet and he very obediently preached exactly what God told him to preach. And that is why Jesus wanted to be baptized of him, because he was the only guy that Jesus could say, I associate myself and my beliefs with this guy, which keep in mind, the Lord himself said was the greatest Christian of any man on earth. So no wonder Jesus associated himself with John the Baptist, not John the Methodist, not John the Presbyterian, John the Baptist. Right, Caleb Bozo the clown. What was Bozo? I'm drawing. I don't know. Was he a clown? Yes. Yeah, Bozo the clown. Bozo was a clown. John the Baptist. What was John? He's now, a Baptist. <laughs> you got it. But keep in mind, I'm not saying that he belonged to a Baptist church because no, there, there wasn't a Baptist church at that time. What I'm saying is by belief and practice, Jesus and John both fall into what we are talking about. Right. That's why I say Jesus was a Baptist. And people get all kinds of mad whenever I say that. And and that's fine. I mean, I, you know, I probably say it half of the reason is just to see people get upset, but that's why Jesus wanted to be baptized by John. He wanted to identify himself and his beliefs with those of John. And I know that sounds funny that God would want to associate himself with the beliefs of a man, but you got to remember, John was a faithful prophet preaching exactly what the Lord told him to preach. Okay. That's the way that it works. So that's the reason that we believe that baptism is important. Just like Jesus was only okay with getting baptized by this guy and not that guy in the same way, we believe that Christians should also have their baptism mean that much. I don't want to get, I don't want to get baptized by this guy. This, this is not okay with me. There's an idea for you. So the number one reason that, that you would recommend the Baptist church or that mm-hmm. you are Baptist is yep. the belief system. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you got to remember there's really no such thing. Uh, again, Baptists are non-denominational Southern Baptists by definition are not Baptists because there is a convention over them. There right. is a governing body that is over all of the Southern Baptist churches by definition. They shouldn't take the name Baptist off of their sign. Every Baptist church is autonomous. They're all independent, which makes us non-denominational. There is no denomination over us. That's why you're going to find some Baptist churches that are on this side of the spectrum, some that are on that side of the spectrum, and a lot of them really should not call themselves Baptist because they don't hold to the Baptist distinctives. Right. Hmm. Remember, I'm really not a part of the Baptist church, I'm part of a Baptist church and my Baptist church, I can show you, you know, we follow the fundamentals of the Christian faith and then we follow the Baptist distinctives as far as our belief. And, and they're not hard to, to demonstrate in the Bible. They're very, you know, straightforward. They're not, you know, how you and I were talking last week about how to write a 
church doctrinal mm-hmm. statement. Well, the Baptist fundamentals, there you go. There, there it is. There's eight of them. It's not written out over 50 pages. Right. You can, you can get it all in there on one page, a couple verses and a brief explanation. So those are the people called Baptist. So what initially introduced you to the Baptist? Good church? question. Where I came from was I was reading the Bible and I went through a time where I had to figure out what I believed the word of God was. So I finished the New Testament. Then I went to a Christian bookstore to get a full Bible, front and back, whole thing, Old Testament, and New Testament, right? I'm as ignorant as the day is long. I walk in there and I walk up to the counter to, you know, the young girl that's like 17. And I say, Hey, I'd like a Bible. And Caleb, I am not kidding you. I expected her to reach under the counter and pull up a black leather book and set it on the counter. And I was going to pay her for it. That's what I was expecting. And instead she takes me over to this wall and she's like, what one would you like? And I was like, what? And she's like, well, there's this one and there's this one and there's this one and there's that one and there's this one. And I was like, no, no, no. I was was like, I just want the Bible. Like, you know, the, uh, I'll take the one with the zipper, you know, black leather with a couple of the ribbons hanging from it. Like the Bible, like that's all I had in my head. I had no idea that there were all these different versions. So then I started my research into where did all these versions come from? How does this all work? Okay. What is the word of God? How has it been preserved? And then I found out that the majority of believers in America think that, you know, anything that you, whenever you put ink to paper and write Bible on the cover, it's a Bible and that's it. Doesn't matter what it says inside. Doesn't matter what verses were removed or added or changed or yada, yada, yada. It's good enough. It's a Bible. And I was like, that is nonsense. That doesn't work with any other book. You can't say, give me a copy of Macbeth and they bring you to a wall of 40 different versions and they're like, okay, which one do you want? Well, if it wasn't written by William Shakespeare, okay, (laughs) first of all, it doesn't count. That's Macbeth. So I I had a problem with that. And I found that the Baptists that I was involved with were very serious about the word of God and believing that God not only wrote his word, but was able to preserve it through copying, through translation, uh, through thousands of years. And they believed that we could have a 100% perfect copy of the word of God today that we could put our hand on and say, this is the Bible. This is God's word. I don't have to try to correct it. All I got to do is read it and believe it and figure it out. And I uh, settled on the King James Bible that it is 100% the word of God, the way God wanted it written for the English speaking people in the world. I got sick and tired of going to so many churches that really anything went. And because of that, you want to know why everyone's doctrine is screwed up. They don't have a foundation, right? They don't have, they don't have a foundation that everyone agrees on says, okay, this right here, this is where we start. That just seemed to be a mess to me it didn't seem like anyone was really believing that it was the word of God. And then I started interviewing all these pastors by uh, interviewing sounds formal, you know, I'd sit in their office and ask them a bunch of questions until they got mad and told me to get the hell out. 
And I was like, okay, well, that guy doesn't believe the Bible. And that's what it came down to. A bunch of them, you know, really came down to, ah, well, everything's okay. And I was like, that's nonsense, man. That is just plain nonsense. That doesn't fly anywhere, you know, and I'm not that stupid. So I'm not buying what you're selling. So that's why I ended up with the Baptist because uh, they were serious about the Bible. And then from there, I really was able to see their beliefs as what I found the Bible to teach very plainly. So that's kind of where I ended up with the whole thing. But it started with just the Word of God, sole authority, nothing but that. And see, we at some point it would be fun to actually do an episode on Bible Bible versions. Bible, oh, yeah, Bible versions. Yeah, but uh, to echo your point there, as far as the, the church that I was talking about that I went to in Grand Junction, there's this ecumenical all paths lead to God. Yeah. If you Did would not have gone use the King James Bible, if you would <laughs> go to one of their church services where they have a conference and they get some, mm-hmm. a representative from every different faith there, and then somebody stands up and is like, Hey, I have a bright idea. Why don't we translate the Bible and we're yeah. all going to work together on this and we'll, We'll include everybody from all these faiths, and let's make sure that we include some. We get a lot of diversity here, so let's let's get somebody that's uh, not really religious, but let's just homosexual, for instance, yeah. just for good oh, measure. Got it. Yeah, bring <laughs> one know? of them in, and and then we're gonna just go ahead and translate the Bible that way. Everybody gets their say, and yep. then we can try to just you know come up with something that's the most universal Bible for us. And if you do that, almost any Bible that has "new" in the in the in the uh, title of it. Yeah. yeah, new international version. Yep. Um, if, for instance, if you look at the uh, translators for the NIV Bible, there you have. Oh, it was it. A you have, joke. <laughs> you have. I'm pretty sure that there was witches on that <laughs> translation committee. If I if I remember right, it's been a long time since I looked over it, but I'm pretty sure there was Wiccans that were on that translation committee. What sure. in the world does a devil worshiping person have any business doing by bi- translating the Bible unless they're there to to mess it up? Yeah. And it's just like letting the snake in the garden of, of Eden uh, repeat God's word to us. It, it You turn it into a lie. And that's what's happening yeah. with a lot of translations. It, it, exactly. When you read in the book of Matthew, when Jesus uh, was done fasting and he was in hunger and the devil came to tempt him, what you find out is that the devil quoted scripture many times. And what he always did was he changed it just a little bit, mm-hmm. just took a word or two out and it had a totally different meaning. And you know, what's funny, Caleb, is I ask Christians all the time, like, okay, Out of all the things on earth that we have from God, what is the one physical thing that we have from God? The Bible. The Bible. That's it. Right. Okay. We don't believe in relics. We don't believe that we have the blood of John the Baptist saved in a glass jar and we can make a trip to, you know, wherever in merry old England and find it and, you know, bow down and worship it and the skull of Thomas and the, you know, the teeth of whatever, you know, I mean, that, and I mean, you laugh, but that's the thing, right. you know, and like every Catholic priest on earth has a sliver of wood from the cross around their neck on a necklace, you know, and it's like, there's oh, it's one of the to, most important things they get yeah. some little shrine set up in every or- Orthodox or yeah. Catholic church that has some relic in there that has some, some. relic and you got to yeah. come and visit in. Yeah. Okay. So we don't believe in all that nonsense. What we believe in is that God gave us the Bible and the Bible is the thing. God uh, reveres the word of God above his own name. You, we can read that in the Psalms. The Bible is very, very important. And in Psalm 12, verse six and seven, God said, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth. They are purified 
uh, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God promises in the Bible that it is perfect and it will be preserved and we he will preserve it forever. That's a promise in the Bible. If God reveres his word above his own name, and we know what he would do when we would drag his name through the mud. He did not, he was not okay with it. Don't you think the devil would try to attack it? Mm -hmm. So many Christians like never have that thought enter their head. Like what? The devil would try to mess up the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, he would. That's exactly what he's doing with, you know, 3000 different translations that we can find just in the English language. He is trying to pervert the word of God. And Jesus gave special warnings against that. He did that in Deuteronomy. He did that in Revelation. He said, it's not okay for you guys to just add and take away whatever you want and call it okay. That's not how it works. For some reason, Christians struggle with that because they don't want to give up their favorite, you know, version of the Bible that they've grown comfortable with. Uh, and what I was looking for was I wanted the truth. I wanted the word of God. I wanted a book where they didn't take out a bunch of stuff and, and, and we can go, we'll have that discussion one day. We'll absolutely go over Bible versions. And, and I, I Caleb, I have, I own one of, I don't know, three dozen different copies of the Bible. And I've gone through them all and highlighted the places where they've just flat changed stuff. There are verses where they just plucked them out and you're reading through and it's like verse 34, 35, 37. Right. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, and they just totally <laughs> and, remove verse And then you think, oh, well, maybe gone. it was a mistake. And then you and then yeah. you start looking at the verse. And you're like, and you, hmm, this is very suspicious. Wait, <laughs> that was a really important verse to mess up. Yeah, so you find that stuff all over the place. And for some reason, so many Christians just don't think that the like the devil never had the idea that a good way to mess up Christianity would be to pervert the word of God. Like right. that never occurred to him, right? Anyway, for me, the, the Bible is the sole authority, Bible versions, um, that was always an important one. I want a pastor that can hold up a book and say, this is the word of God. All we got to do is read it and believe it. That's it. And you'll have everything you need in the world. You know, God's going to give you everything that you need. And that that's just, that's more and more rare nowadays, unfortunately. You could have easily landed in a number of churches that, that do believe that the King James Bible is preserved. And of course, I've never, I've never necessarily, I don't, I don't fall into that camp necessarily with it. I, I prefer the King James Bible because I tend to think that the less that has gotten meddled with, the, the better off. And obviously the only, I, I always have looked at it as the, the only perfect version that you could get would be the original, you know, Hebrew or Greek. But you're not necessarily. Now I'm going to challenge. I can challenge that for you and give you something to think about if you want to hear yeah. it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so let me ask you this: Do you have the original Hebrew and Greek? No. Why not? I have copies of the copies of the copies of the original. Right. Got it. Okay, because the originals were not written on paper like we have today right. that can be preserved through the methods that we have today. What I'm saying is that I believe that God was able to take a group of men and translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English. Now, right. all of us believe that God could do that. The question is, did he do that? I believe he did. 
you believe that a group of guys was able to copy a copy, a copy, a copy, a copy of a copy in the same language and not mess it up and get you exactly what God wanted. Cause that's what we have today. Right. Right. So would we, would you agree with me that we both believe that there's a group of guys involved? They're just different groups of guys. Right. Okay. So there you have it. No one argues that God was unable to have Paul write what God wanted Paul to write. Right. We all believe that God was powerful enough to do that. But from that point on, you got to remember those originals are gone. They're, they're right. dust. So we have a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Okay. Going on for thousands of years, the Hebrew and Greek guys where they believe that, Oh yeah, you got to go back to the original languages. I'm like, okay, well, where are they? They're like, well, they're destroyed. Well, then you don't have them. You have copies. So you're believing that God used men to preserve his word the same way I am. But for some reason, the Hebrew and Greek guys think it's impossible for God to be able to get it from one language to another. He can only, God is only a copy machine. That's it. He can do nothing more than that. Whereas I believe God can get his word copied exactly the way he wants it in any language. Well, one of yeah, one of my biggest problems with with a lot of Bible translations is that the the King James uh, version is one of the one of the oldest English translations, most complete, mm-hmm. original, and everything that's come after that, in my opinion, has has two motivations behind why they would do it. Money and, and neither of them, yep, money <laughs> and wanting to omit, yep, you know, wanting, wanting to, to push an agenda. And that wasn't that didn't exist in the with the King James version. Neither of those agendas existed the way that they did with all the copycats after it, because oftentimes what you see with it, I mean, New Living Translation, for instance, to me is one of the most abominable ones because it's got like thirty verses that are intentionally omitted, omitted, and they all over in the footnotes. If you read through it, they'll they'll explain why they omit stuff, or mm-hmm. you know, or sometimes they don't. But it's just like this was a this is a commentary. This is like my version of what I wish the Bible read. And so I'm mm-hmm. going to rewrite the Bible, which is strictly forbidden. The last thing that you read in Revelation strictly forbids translating or changing the Bible in a way that implies or or projects your opinion onto the Bible. It's strictly forbidden. So, it, and it's forbidden all throughout scripture. You don't add or take away from, from God's word. And so when you're intentionally meddling with it to me that's that's a problem so yeah i i uh like i said you could have ended up in in a number of churches that stick to the to the king james bible but that sure that definitely makes sense why it led you led you to that if baptist if the baptist church uh seemed to stick to the the fundamental belief there of of the bible being the the authority and the word of god doesn't really hold water if you're if you're if any translation goes if if some new translation that isn't really um, adhering to that belief if the translators Mm -hmm. didn't adhere to that belief it makes sense what you find is that i'm going to say more often than not the hebrew and greek guys typically only go back to the original languages when they don't like what the Bible says yep. and they're trying to get it to say something else. And in the Bible, Caleb, who does it say is supposed to explain the Bible to me? 
John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit. I don't need someone correcting the Bible and telling me what it should really say. Now, you have to understand, my background is Catholic. Well, guess what they used to teach the Mass in? That only only the priest can... Yeah, oh, yeah, it was, in, it was in Latin. Yeah, yeah. and only had, the priest is authorized Catholic to... churches all over America teaching uh, everything in a dead language that no one understood. And yep. we all just sat there and shook our head, and we knew when to stand up and sit down and genuflect and all these things. But I didn't know Latin. I didn't know what to say or what it meant or any of that nonsense. So then how did I learn the Bible? Well, you had to go through the priest. And prior to that, there was such a great level of illiteracy that you had to go through the priest to understand what these things were. Do you know why the Dark Ages were the Dark Ages, Caleb? The Dark Ages were named such because the Bible was not readily available to the masses. It was after the Bible was printed and was available to everybody that the world no longer was going through the dark ages. People think that it was this time where, you know, no one knew how to read and that science was just way behind and engineering was at a loss and there was no advances at all. And don't get me wrong. There was a high level of illiteracy. And the reason was there was a, there was a very low level of books. There just wasn't that many because of the effort that it took. Okay, but it was because the Bible was not available to the common man. And do you know Gutenberg, the printing press? You're familiar, right? Yeah, you know I've seen the, the Gutenberg Bible on display you, in D.C. Yep. Okay, there's one in the New York uh, Public Library in, uh, in New York City in Manhattan. And uh, the wife and I got a picture of it. Uh, do, you, do you know that that was the very first thing he ever printed? Hmm. When he invented his printing press, he started pumping out Bibles. That's what he wanted to do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's cool. So you got to remember that for me, coming from that background where they would try to keep you ignorant so that you had to go to them to get the truth, that idea is still prevalent today. And there are a lot of preachers that use the, well, you can't really understand the Bible. You got to come to me. Because you know that the Bible in the in the Ten Commandments, it says that you got to learn, you know, a couple foreign dead languages in order to be able to understand the Bible. That's the only way you can do it, right? Because that's right. what God wanted the Bible written for, was the intellectuals that had time to learn additional languages. Okay, that's right. not the case at all. Okay, the Bible was written for the common man. Do you know that someone with a third grade education can read the King James Bible and understand it? Mm-hmm. I'm almost living proof of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother. Yeah, I I don't know. I always tell people the worst three years of my life was third grade. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother. All right, man. Well, we're right at, we're one minute away from an hour and a half. We better stop because we, even though it's funny, we have five people watching us right now, but we've actually gotten complaints that we go on for too long. And if we were only shorter, more people would listen to us. And I'm like, that's nonsense. We could be two minutes and then people still wouldn't tune in and listen to us. 
<laughs> so we do thank you all for coming by. Uh, please check us out on Spotify and Google Play and iHeartRadio. Get on there. Uh, download some episodes of our podcast and listen to them while you're on the road. Like them, share them. And go to your go go find the local Baptist church in the corner. Talk to the preacher. Find out if your baptism is legitimate or if they're going to rebaptize you on or Sunday. If, or, if you, or if you need to get dunked again, <laughs> Patrick Patrick will volunteer to come and redunk you. I guess oh, not a redunking really? if the first dunking didn't count. Well, and keep in mind, keep in mind, no one is saying that the first your fir the first time you got baptized didn't count. Now, if you were a child and didn't know what was going on, it didn't count. If you got sprinkled instead of immersed, it didn't count. If it happened prior to you getting saved, it didn't count. But other than that, you know, to join my church, I'm not saying that your baptism didn't count. You got saved, you got baptized. It counted. I'm just saying that the, the church that baptized you yeah. wasn't saved. Yeah, I guess I don't know how you'd know that. You'd you'd assume that uh, you know, that they were, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, I've never thought, I've never put much importance on who it was that was doing the baptism. In fact, I've known of people that have gone and baptized themselves. Yeah, that doesn't count. That's not a thing. <laughs> you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Well, That's called if, taking if, a bath or going swimming. If, if that counted, then Jesus should have just gone. To, I mean, there was no Yeah, why didn't qualified. Jesus just yeah, dunk himself? So keep in mind, I'm not saying that the baptism was illegitimate. I'm just saying that the church that baptized you uh, their beliefs are too far away from ours where we can't accept it. And Caleb, there are plenty of churches where someone will tell me, yeah, I got baptized at this church when I grew up and I'll call the pastor and I'll talk to him for a little bit and find out what the church believed. And I'll get back to the church member and say, Hey, that sounds good. Works for me. Right. I don't need to get rebaptized. That guy's right on, you know, his beliefs are, are correct. They're in line with ours as far as they have to be. And, uh, you know, so, and keep in mind, Caleb, you know, the other funny thing is there's so much pride and arrogancy built up in Americans, uh, today that the idea of having to do anything over again is like right. an affront to them. Whereas when you actually read through the Bible, you find out that a lot of the Jews would get baptized every year. Yeah. Okay. Because we, and we talked about that there's different types of baptism and we follow the Lord and believers baptism after we get saved. Okay. But we find out that there are other baptisms. There's a baptism of repentance where people would just go and they, they wanted a fresh start and they realized there were things that were wrong in their life and they wanted to turn around and, and get that going in the right the direction. Yep. And they would do, uh, yeah, it, it's not like Jesus just got saved prior to getting baptized by John. Right. Uh, so people would get baptized uh, often. It's just that today that doesn't happen very much. And you know what? Why doesn't any pastor ever talk about that? We always have an altar call, right? You know, and right. that's that's where you're supposed to get right with God and start over. I wonder why it's never talked about where we're going to have a you know baptism of repentance. Let's have some people get right with God and get back on track and start doing the right, right thing. Yeah. Yeah. All there's right, no place you. in Scripture that ever forbids rebaptizing. No. Yeah. Eh, so yeah, anyway. might as well cover your bases. Go go across the street. Yeah. Get one from the Methodist Church. One from the Baptist yeah. Church. Just go around the town. Hit them all, <laughs> just to be safe. Sure all right. Thanks, legitimate. Patrick. I enjoyed it. Okay. Have a good night, everyone. Talk to you next week on Sunday, the thirtieth. Bye bye.